Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week and I'm delighted to say back at full strength as we welcome back our transfer guru in the height of the transfer season, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? How was America? Hello, mate. Yep, it was good. It was awesome. Um, yeah, really one of the probably the best trips we've ever had out there, actually. A good three weeks. Um Brought the weather back with us too, so that that's good. Is uh, it? Like, is it yeah. good? Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, I'm happy with the with the weather now. As yesterday on Patreon, I was moaning about the heat. Remember, I told you the 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 awning that I was, I had was broken on the back, and basically the the sun just pours into the kitchen through these doors, and it's it's like a I don't know, like a greenhouse basically. The way it comes in just gets trapped. So specifically, when we got this house, it's like we need something to go over that those doors and stop any sunlight from coming into this room and just as I come back from holiday that thing broke and there was no other way to get it out without electric um I've had that fixed this morning I've got this nice cool kitchen to work from I've got a draft coming through absolutely spot on at the moment mate um so yeah now that's fixed I'm really happy boy there you go. What a day. Uh, this is That's the kind of post-holiday glow you want going on. Um, <laughs> and of course, a man who's less happy with it here, it's the rank god, Mr. Sam Tai. How are you doing, bud? Are you dealing with it worse? Because I certainly am. Um, I was happy, but I get bored of it after a couple of days. I think it's mm. the lack of access to a swimming pool. And this is the third year in a row that I've considered just going out and buying a paddling pool. But or a house can't... with a pool. Why don't you just buy a house that's got a swimming pool in the garden? Oh, that's a good What's idea. What's the problem? That's a good idea. Yeah, maybe I should have just done that. <laughs> Oh, maybe I'll do that today. We'll see. Yeah. Switch it over, mate. Switch it over. That sounds, that sounds reasonable. Um, right. Enough about the weather. Let's talk about some things we love. We're going to be talking generally today about some transfers. Dean's going to take over the reins on the main ranking. We're going to be talking about a couple of season-defining transfers that are yet to happen in this window. But before we do that, Sam, there are some exciting things going on that we're enjoying at the moment. Yeah, I want to talk about um, the Luka Jovic deal because... On face value, it looks absolutely shocking, doesn't it? I mean, Real Madrid paid 60 million or so for this player three years ago. Um, we really liked him for what it's worth. We've always been fans of Luka Jovic. I quite like the deal. But yeah, three years on, I think it is. And they have basically cut him loose to Fiorentina for a grand total of zero. They have let him leave for free, which sounds really bad. But you dig a little bit deeper into the transfer and Real Madrid have retained 50% of the sell-on fee moving forward. So what Madrid are doing is they're gambling on the idea that Fiorentina can basically restore Luka Jovic to something approaching what he was when they signed him, which was, was the prolific. best player in the world when they he signed was, him, let's face yeah. it. <laughs> he was a brilliant striker, prolific, an absolute killer in the box, full of confidence. He'd, uh, he'd managed to lead Eintracht to a, a Europa League semi-final and a really good season overall. He and Sebastian Allaire were absolutely killing it. Hasn't gone to plan for a number of reasons at Madrid. And for that reason, of course, Madrid have found it hard to shift him, not only because they'd obviously naturally look to recoup quite a lot of that transfer fee, but also the wages that you end up on as a, as a Real Madrid striker are unsustainable for a lot of clubs. So if Madrid asks for money and for his wages to be moved, it rules so many clubs out. And we've seen so many players get stuck 
at different clubs as a result of this. I think Gareth Bale is one of them and Meza Ozil was one for a while as well and the list goes on and on and on. So Madrid have come up with a relatively novel solution, not the first ones to do it, and it's not the first time they've done it, but this is definitely the highest profile transfer of this type. They've let him go for nothing. They're hoping that at Fiorentina, he restores his own confidence. If Fiorentina go on and sell him for 40 million, then they get 20. If it's 30 million, they get 15. And ultimately, they've got rid of his wages and they might still get some of that money back in the future. They're just approaching it a slightly different way. Madrid have done this with Jorge de Frutos. They sold him to Levante for like a couple of million, but with a 50% sell on. And when Levante were trying to sell De Frutos this summer for 10 million, of course, 5 million goes to Madrid. So it becomes a more difficult deal for them. And we saw as well, thanks to our friend Zach Lowy, Sporting have just done the same thing as well. They've sold Rafael Fernandes to Aruca for free, but with 50% of the economic rights moving forward. So this is the solution that big clubs are using to dump flops, but not completely and utterly give up on them financially. I like it. Yeah, it also, it, it kind of frees up this point, you know, the the whole players getting stuck thing. It's it's a, a way around it. And I think that's an amazing thing to do because, you know, we we, we, we complain about this every summer, right? We, we, we get to them and we're like, why? Why are they still there? Please let them go. Just mm. want to see them play football again. These players that, you know, have maybe not quite made the grade at your you know, top, 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 top clubs but would still be, you know, an amazing signing for anyone in the bracket below. Yeah. And suddenly you're like, ah, oh, but it's just a really tricky thing to, to let go given the, the monetary circumstances. So people finding a way around this is is a really good thing and you know kind of to double down on this I think that Jovic is a really good signing for Fiorentina you know and the way that it fits obviously we've seen Vincenzo Italiano play a 4-3-3 uh, Fiorentina for, for long parts of last season we saw Arta Cabral come in in, in January and, and be the kind of main target man kind of striker um, and Christoph Piontek came in as well now they decided Fiorentina not to make Piontek's deal permanent from from her to Berlin smart um, which which felt like the right thing to do. His, you know, he scored actually about six goals in about 18 appearances, which isn't too bad. But once you start to look at actually how they came, I think three of them were from the spot, two of them were in the cup. Um, you know, it, it's not as good as it perhaps looks on paper. Jovic is an upgrade on Piontek. And also there's an element here where Cabral could effectively, if there was a switch of system, fulfill the old Allaire role at Eintracht. You know, they, mm-hmm. they could work as a pair. Um, and, and the way that I think they might combine gives Italiano another option and gives him, you know, the flexibility to change shape and look at lots of different things in that capacity. So I'm actually ex- incredibly excited about this transfer. And I think that it's going to be great to see Lukiovic playing football again, obviously, and 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 try and get back to the, the point that he was. Um, but also it feels like a nice fit. And, and I think that's going to be important for him too, because there's an element here of, okay, you've got an opportunity to go back and show why everyone was so excited about you in the first place. You have to go and take that. And it feels like somewhere where he could really explode. Mm, I don't know why he's not Fulham. Why have we not got him? <laughs> why have we not got him? Oh, let's look at this transfer window. Mitro Jovic, Serbian connection. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Would have been, oh, some, would have been quite something. Would have been quite something. Right? He's, maybe he just wants that European football at Fiorentina, you know, giving him... Giving him overrated. European style. football is overrated. You want to be in a relegation battle in the Premier League. That's where you want to be. That's where everybody wants to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. I, I want to move things on and I want to talk about Euro 2022 because I think over the last couple of days, we've seen some absolutely 
unbelievable performances, both from teams as a whole um, and from individuals. And, you know, I, I, yesterday we were talking on the pod about who are the favourites at this point and we saw France's demolition job of Italy at the end of last week. Um, and it looked, you know, that, that France had, had stepped up and, and, and there was a lot of other favourites in the mix. We talked about seven teams we thought might be able to win it last week. Um, but one of those teams was Norway and another one of them was England. And last night, the Lionesses beat Norway 8-0. Go on, England. Um, it was one of the most remarkable performances I have ever seen against a genuinely very good Norway side. Now, let's caveat this effectively. Norway's front three is up there with the best in the world. And defensively, there were question marks before this tournament. But that doesn't really matter in this context. This was just sublime from start to finish from the Lionesses. And, and ultimately, when you look at this kind of game, especially if you can you contrast it to the Austria game, the first game of the tournament where England looked very timid, I thought, even after getting a relatively early goal, it didn't feel like everything was working and there's so much pressure and that crowd and all sorts just feeling a little bit you know oh the, the shakes are on this England team there were no shakes last night whatsoever Sam it was just almost perfection yeah we started really strong um I felt a little bit sorry for Norway in that the kind of the first stone to roll down the hill here which eventually became an avalanche was a, a, a blatant dive in the box yeah. for a penalty. So the first goal should not go in at that stage because that's that's never a penalty. And the fact that that was upheld was was absolutely ridiculous. Some then, conversion though by Georgia Stanway. Oh yeah, like, amazing, amazing penalty. Beautifully but, put away. And unfortunately, that huge fan of Ellen White as a, as a, as a striker and like what she does and her all-round play, but that was a dive and I was like, oh no. Then the second goal comes like very, very, very swiftly afterwards, right? Yeah. It's like three minutes later. And the game is is starting to kind of career out of control there, and it and it all it all comes from a dive. So, from one perspective, Norway have my sympathies, but at the same time, England kept attacking down down England's right, you know, hitting Norway's left and just battering that side, and nothing was really done to change that. No moves in shape, no moves in personnel, and the confidence just drained and drained and drained. And uh, I, I was watching like you know Ada Hagerberg up front, like trying to trying to you know, Kajol the, the troops and try to get them back in back in the game. And I think at, at 3-0, there's a VAR check for the third goal and Norway, the Norway players are in a huddle. They're in a huddle trying to re- restore their own confidence and have like a mini team talk. This is about 18 minutes in. This yeah. could barely be going any worse. It's 6-0 before, before half time, and then it's 8-0 at the end. I mean, what a stunning performance. But there was an element of, it feels like every shot's going in. Because for a while... Every shot just went in. It just it felt like England were just unstoppable. And, and yeah. to be perfectly honest, you know, we spoke about individual performances at the start. Beth Mead, with one of the great all-time individual performances at a European Championship, not only a hat-trick, you know, of which the second goal is one of the most beautiful, like, what bits of footwork to, to cut yeah. back across and then and then dink it back across the keeper. Um, but, I mean, she could have had a hat-trick of assists as well. It was, you know, the, the crosses that are crashing in from this right-hand side from Beth Mead. And and it's like everything, you know, there were, I would say that not only were there eight goals, I think there's about five where, you know, Ellen White or Lauren Hemp slide past the ball inches away, you know, from, from tapping in again. And, and mm. I just thought that whatever she did was everything worked, everything turned to goals, if if you will. And and I think that, you know, you look at these kind of performances and and those are the ones where you go, Okay, right. This this could be quite special. This um, and 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 it, it turned out that way. And this was at two three nil. You could be like, this could be quite 
quite remarkable. I um, just wanted to shout out Kira Walsh as well, who played as basically a lone, a lone six behind lone midfielder. Behind this kind of like four one four of attacking five, it was it was unbelievable. It was a, it's England almost play a four one four one. I mean, George Stanway effectively plays as the second, you know, in the pivot, but she spends so much time in the opposition half um, that is basically a four one four one. And and Kira Walsh just kept breaking up play, and it was like all she did was she just sort of sat there in the middle. She she broke things up. She got England re- you know restarted again. The ball very rarely went past the halfway line. I think, you know, across the course of genuinely the whole game. And that was, so much of that was down to Kira Walsh, just basically patrolling that area, allowing both fullbacks to fly forward, um, allowing the, the, the entire team to tick. And I just thought that she was exceptional, um, just on individuals. And I just want to go back to that France game. Grace Giorgio scored a hat, first half hat trick from centre midfield uh, in, in that game. She is a, you know, a box-to-box eight, but she got into those positions so much. And, she, you know, there's the second goal where she takes the ball round the goal keeper um having got just sort of careered through um it, it, it was remarkable um her and, and Delphine Cascarino just sensational for France as well uh, on Friday night so yeah some some really really impressive performances um by the time you're listening to this Germany will have played Spain both of them scored four in their first round fixtures Germany beat Denmark 4-0 in a very very impressive performance um Spain beat Finland 4-1 in a far less impressive performance um where they were cut apart at times um so it's gonna be very interesting to see Germany and Spain face off tonight and see how that one plays out but yeah it's been full of excitement hasn't it full of goals full of excitement full of joy um what tournament this is turning into so just want to give some some quick shouts out there come on England well, I mean, at, at this point, you can't write them off as favourites. So, uh, so that, that's where we are uh, at this exact point um, at Euro 2022. You can't win 8-0 in the group stages against a fellow, fa- uh, you know, someone else who had a chance of winning said tournament um, and, and, and not be considered favourites. So I think the Lioness is uh, very much top of the pile. Do you support England now. women, Jack, like you do England men? What's the score? I actually really like the Lionesses. Um, they're, they're very, very good. I, it's one of those things that, you know, obviously the, it's a different atmosphere and, and a different kind of set of fans I think for a lot of it and it's, it's a lot easier to it's a lot easier to get behind the lionesses I feel and it's uh, one of those but yeah whatever I, I suits you really mate like, whatever suits you is fun. I do really like the lion it's, uh, it's a lots of fun there. English when it suits him Jack uh, yeah. that's, did I did I use the word support I just said I <laughs> really much, yeah. the li- I said I like the lionesses pretty much um, yeah. there is there is where we are right after the break we are going to be talking transfers with Dean Jones it's the one you've all been waiting for don't go anywhere Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it is time for our main ranking. And DJ, the reins are going to you today. We're going to be talking about five potentially season-defining transfers that haven't happened yet this summer. Yeah, so this ranking will set out five Premier League clubs who are not done in the transfer market yet and have their major work to do. And that work will determine how well they actually do next season. At the moment, these clubs that I'm going to talk about um, seem a bit in flux and you're not sure which way they're heading and we're going to investigate this a bit further. Some of them look like they will make the fixes needed, some I'm not so sure about and that's where I begin. And Number five, we're talking about Wolverhampton Wanderers. Wolves finished 10th last season. They only scored 38 goals last season. That is the worst in the league apart from the three sides that were relegated. They ended the season with a run of two points from 21, I think. Uh, Clearly, something needed to change in 
the squad, in the mindset, whatever. Maybe they just needed a break. But something needed to change before next season starts. Well, so far, we have no new arrivals. Every Wolves fan hopes for news every single week. So far, they have none. Well, nothing to get excited about anyway. Um, They go to Spain soon. The plan was always that they'd have someone new to go with them. At the moment, they don't. They've missed out on pretty... Well, they have missed out on everyone linked to them so far, from Marquinhos uh, to um, Enzo Fernandez. Uh, Palinia ended up joining Fulham. That wasn't a good one for them. I asked someone close to the situation, like, what can happen from here? What should we expect? He said probably three signings, maybe four max. The most significant will be a forward. Fabio Silva's just going out on loan. There's no one really backing up Jimenez here. It's a big need. And to well, be it's honest... It's Chan, isn't there? So Yeah. Um, Technically, his transfer became permanent this summer, Dean. So they have yeah, made yeah. a signing. Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah. um, look, they, they need backup all over the pitch. It's, it's not even... Like three for me isn't going to be enough for what Wolves actually need. Uh, um, and this is a huge moment for them to transform the outlook for next season. They've got some big business to do. As it stands, I'll be honest, I'd have them as a team that will be in the bottom half of the table. I think that three really good signers can definitely change that. A bit more depth as well as those three signers. And I think Wolves can no doubt uh, be the team that we've seen over the the last two years altogether, the way they've been built. Let's look at some positive. They'll be delighted that Jean Martinez is staying at the club. That that's a that's big. Keep his partnership going with Ruben Neves. Hopefully, obviously, Barcelona and Man United been looking at him. If you know Ruben Neves could come around again, say United miss out on Frankie De Jong, which they shouldn't do, but if they did, like that might come back onto the end. As it is, they're keeping Martinez and Neves, and that's massive. Um, Gibbs White. I want to talk about as a positive, but at the moment, we're not actually sure he's even going to be there. Like there's, there's massive rumour and speculation about him leaving the club. So if he's not there, they've, they've got to replace him. Martinez's experience will be vital, obviously. And you, you've got him and Connor Cody and Raul Jimenez. Like that's the core of the side, I guess, um, that they're going to be built around. And that will still be key. The one signing it does look like is imminent in this moment is Nathan Collins from Burnley. Hell of a signing this. Well, it's £20 million for Nathan Collins and like it's a good signing, but I'm not sure that this is enough to be like, yes, we're definitely going to be in that battle again for the top six. Oh, no, 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 no. Definitely not on his own. Just, just a good signing. Separately. It's a good it's signing. It's a yeah. good, it's a promising I don't know. start. Nathan, that goal is scored for Ireland, but he did literally just run around five players and score. <laughs> I, he, you More know of what? that. More <laughs> of Nathan that. Nathan Maradona Collins. Yeah. yeah Co- cousin so, Nathan, as I call him. Look, at least if they can get that over the line, it's a start and Wolves fans can start to be a bit more optimistic. At the moment, they're also being linked with like Dario Azorio, who's an 18-year-old from South America, um, untried, untested. This seems very unsure about whether there's even much actually in that. Um, Paul Onowichu, who's a forward from Genk. Mario Vuskovic, defender from Hamburg. Ben Yedder at Monaco. These are the kind of guys that are being linked elsewhere. Ben Yedder. Sorry. Ben Yedder would be a good, a good Ben Yedder would be a good one. The others, I mean, I don't so know. At, I don't know what you'd be getting. So at the moment, obviously, Nathan Collins is, is a great signing. I think we can all agree that good or great, but all all he does is fill the void that Roman Saiz has left. Oh, yeah. Um, because he's dis- he's obviously left and he's gone to, I think it's Turkey. Um, yeah. So Saiz was obviously a massive player for them over the last 
three, four, five seasons maybe because he was back in the championship, wasn't he playing holding midfield for them? And he was absolutely brilliant in partnership with Ruben Neves there before even Moutinho was on the scene. So um, that's plugged the gap. So they're kind of back to where they were, which was still in need of a few things. Still in need of a, a bit of an attacking spark. I guess you look to Pedro Neto returning from injury there maybe as, as almost like a new signing in that regard. Um, so they've got a few things cooking. But yeah, Wolves have set a standard and an expectation here to be on the fringes of those top eight consistently and maybe even to be considered best of the rest along with yes. Leicester. And at the moment, they do feel like they are falling short of that in terms of what they have in terms of quality. Yeah, definitely. Look, maybe George Mendes has still got a say to have here, right? Maybe he can sprinkle some magic on this squad late doors and his focus maybe has just been too heavily on like Barcelona or something in these early stages and there's been too much else going on for him to... He's been to selling all of Porto's attackers, mate. He's been yeah. very he's, busy he's doing, doing other that. stuff. Like maybe Wolves like, can you come back for a couple of weeks, mate? We kind of need some help. <laughs> um, these players want to join us. So, so I can't rule that out. Adama Traore situation in the air a bit, but no one's expecting him to really hang around. Maybe will. Maybe, maybe they could turn that situation around. Um, but ultimately... Yeah, I've, I've got them in here at number five in terms of, of what we're talking about here, which is season-defining transfers that are still to come. And, and I think that that's, it's key to hammer home that, that point. Like At the moment, Wolves, as we record, have done nothing uh, apart from, as Sam says, sign a player who was already joining them and potentially get Nathan Collins through the door. Um, but between now and the end of the window, their main business is going to be done and it will dictate whether they are a side... Um, on in decline or whether they are a side that can get back to competing for European football and, and for Bruno Large the start of this season massive test for him and if he doesn't get the players through the door that he needs I would imagine he'll be one of the favourites to lose his job by Christmas that yeah. would be my prediction I hope he doesn't I like him and I like his ideas but like it, it's, he's got a lot to change at Wolves obviously and he's he's been trying to implement change it hasn't gone that well so far probably point out too that Raul Jimenez you know while he's obviously working his way back from very very difficult injury like he's not been the same player that Wolves had before so another reason they do need a top level forward to come in and compete with him yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they're, they're, there is, you know, vague silver linings in the in the playbook in that Pedro Neto is coming back from injury. We talked about him a bit on, on, on the last podcast with Gianni. Um, but it, it is nice to see Pedro Neto back in the mix there. Yeah. Um, Chincao is obviously gone and not been made permanent. Um, but, you know, Adama's come back, whether that lasts or not, as you say. There are options wide and around Jimenez, but they do need, it does feel like there's a central focal point the needs coming in, especially with with Fabio Silva going out on loan. Yeah, and you assume um, it is going to happen. With the fact they're letting him go on loan suggests that something will happen there. They're so. going to wait for Cristiano Ronaldo to demand his way out of Manchester United and then sign sign him to play through. The it would be reasonably there. funny if Ronaldo moved out of Man United because he demands Champions League football, but then it's like, oh, I'm going to have to join Wolves. <laughs> Just be, okay. it would, it'd be different. At least he'd fit yeah. in. At least he'd fit yeah. in. Right, let's move on to number four. Number four is Everton. Because the problem with Everton is the needle hasn't really moved. They survived the drop last season. And at the moment, I'm looking at their squad and thinking, well, it's going to be more of the same. They've lost Richarlison and that is significant. 
to have lost him, right? On the back of how he helped them even stay up last season. They've signed James Tarkovsky, which is a really good get on a free transfer. No doubt about that. Like that Everton defence needed some serious work at the centre of it and and Tarkovsky will definitely help um, fix some leaks. We know Lampard wants to lean on his Chelsea connections and he's been linked with Conor Gallagher, Armando Brogia, Levi Colwill, Billy Gilmore. Honestly, at this moment in time, I couldn't tell you that any of those are close to actually joining Everton. So that's something still up in the air. Importantly, can they keep hold of Calvert-Lewin? If not, who do they replace him with? And if even if they do keep him, who's helping him out? Who's coming up with those Richarlison goals? Everton can't be a club that just survive at the end of their season. They have to think bigger than that. Uh, Frank Lampard can't get by in this job with just picking up the odd good win. They were linked with people like Ismail Assar at the end of last season to replace Richarlison. They're chasing Gibbs White at the moment. He's being priced at £30 million. I mean, that is a lot of money and I'm not sure it raises the level of that side enough to make a significant difference to what they're doing. No problem with him as a player and like the potential he's got and stuff like that. But at £30 million, I've got my doubts about it. They've already got strict financial fair play rules hanging over them. They're not in a good place financially and there are conflicting reports about just how bad this is and how much they further they can even invest in this squad right now. I guess we'll find out. Um, but as well as a forward, they're gonna, they need fullback cover and they really need some new midfield options if they're going to improve on last season. <laughs> That's just in about every t- position there except goalkeeper you've listed. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Jordan Pickford's hanging around, which is very handy because he's a great goalkeeper. Um, the other thing that's hanging over Everton right now and their potential to improve on last season is the fact that you look at the teams who are around them, particularly Leeds, who, who beat the drop, and how they are reacting to last season. Now, Leeds are, like, like Everton, are, are losing Richarlison and might lose one more key player. Well, Leeds have lost Calvin Phillips and they're going to lose Rafinha, but they've already brought in six new players who Jesse Marsh knows most of them like very well. And they're going to sign a significant forward to replace Rafinha and what he brought to that team. So they're going to spend over £100 million in this this window once all that business is done. And if you're Everton fan and you're you're looking across and you're thinking, well, this is where we were last season. Leeds were, were in a similar situation, but they're correcting all of that. And they've got a boss who seems like he's got a way to fix that. What's our plan? I'm a bit worried for him. And also just add in the fact that like if you created what we what I did remember at the start of last season was create almost like tiers in the Premier League, like well, you're, you know, bottom three, bottom four, then there's the next bucket of teams. Southampton are also in this this bucket mm-hmm. with Everton and Leeds. They are in yeah, roughly yeah, yeah. the same area. Southampton have made five signings. Yeah. Now not all of them are, very good are, are, are for the are for the yeah, not all of them are for the now, but they've been out and they've spent some money and they've bought some good players and they're backing their manager. And Leeds, as you say, have signed six players. They'll probably end up signing seven or eight. They might spend a hundred mil, but obviously they're gonna earn it, they're gonna spend it back. And Everton have so far made one signing in Tarkovsky. Um and you know, two weeks ago I'd have been saying, It's okay, guys, There's still plenty of time. But once you start to see these players fly out to Singapore and America and Australia, that's when you realise that actually the team bonding process has already begun and the smart clubs have already got their players to the door. How the yeah. hell Everton are going to replace Richarlison? I don't know. It's not just about the goals, the assists. It's about the intensity, the intangibles, the never-say-die attitude, the pressing. Like, I just don't know how they're going to do it. I think it's impossible, like mm. for like. They're going to need to go and find two players to replace him. Yeah. And they haven't even got one. 
No, exactly yeah. that. Yeah, the, the, I think yeah. that, go on. I was going to say, well, just, you know, the, the, the kind of response to losing with Charleston seems to have been giving Anthony Gordon the 10 shirt. Yeah, as if that's gonna like, as if the fans are gonna be like, oh, sound and look. Well, if they need me. to make sure, I think yes, they're making sure they keep him because he's been linked with a few places too. They absolutely yeah, can't lose him. No. Yeah, yeah. I just it's one of those, isn't it? Where you're you're looking at it and going, look, I, I like Anthony Gordon. It's nice. I'm giving a homegrown player, you know, the ten shirt, etc., etc., etc. You know, but it was almost as if, oh, that will pay with the cracks. Don't worry mm. about it. Well, and, and this is coming from me. I love shirt number changes more than almost anyone on earth. Right? Like, I think it's great. Love, love them. But I just can't see why, you know, I'm sure Everton are looking at that and be like, oh, that'll quieten the fans down for a little while. But I just mm. don't think it will. Yeah, no, and we, we've already seen the, the rift that can quickly come come between the Everton fans and and the board, um, and that could be back on the horizon if they if they don't mend these cracks. As I say, like the the reason we are talking about each of these transfers is because we're looking at, at the transfers that are still to be done between now and the end of August that will change how they finish next season, and and that's why Everton are here at four because they need work. But the reason they're at four is because I'm not convinced how much of it is actually going to come off. So I'm not sure they're actually going to be much improved on where they were last season. And I'll just please guide us quickly. Yeah. At least Abdullah Decore is back fit. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there's there's something that you can hang on to. You're going to keep Gordon. Decore's fit. Two two potentially very, very big players. They obviously lost Decore for a, a fair portion of the run in last season and they do they do hurt when he's not there. They still need to buy a bunch of players to complement everybody else. But just just trying to scratch around for the positives there, like like Jack did with Wolves. I was like, yeah. what, what's, what's going right for them? Um, maybe Nathan Patterson now gets the run. Uh, you know who they bought in January. There's, yeah, a, that's, that's there's an a, interesting one. There's a player who hasn't had too much exposure so far yeah. that could... Could could now step into the into a good position six months in. Yeah, that's an and interesting it, one. At three, um, I'm look. I'm starting to look up and a, and a bit more optimistically now. And, and teams that I think are going to make the changes needed to to make the difference. And at, at number three, I've got Chelsea. So they finished third last season in the Premier League, but significantly they were 18 points away from actually being in the title race. And that gap has to close. I've got Chelsea in third because the transfer activity that is yet to come could propel them into the reckoning, reckoning to fight for the title. I don't know that it can win them the title, but it, it can put them into that into that bracket that they really should have been in last season. If this window, though, falls flat, they might not improve at all, or worse than that, they might drop to fourth or fifth. Now, so far, we've seen Raheem Sterling come in at around £50 million, let's call it. Nathan Ake is on his way, um, just trying to sort out the final negotiating on the terms of that that deal and that fee. Rafinha is looking like a no. They obviously were in the race and, and winning the race, deciding if he came to the Premier League. Looks like he'll be joining Barcelona. They were looking at Rafael Liao as a potential um, replacement if they could get him. Not convinced they will. Not, not sure that will happen. Um, Nabry being discussed as an option. You know, he might genuinely become available. He's in contract talks at the moment about Bayern and I'm not sure he's convinced about his his pathway there. Away from that, if they don't sign somebody else for that attack, which they they have always intended to do, will they put new faith in Hudson Odoi, who who is definitely stronger in this preseason than he has been over the last year? Like Hudson Odoi has had issues to contend with, but he's coming out the other side of that now and I'm told we we could see a, a better season from him now. Uh, Christian Pulisic 
big pre-season for him and a potentially big season for him where he could win over people at Chelsea. I think this is probably it now. This is this is the season he needs to perform if he does hang around. Uh, I've seen a bit of talk to about somebody like Harvey Vale potentially coming onto the scene. I have to wait and see whether that, whether that happens. This is a big situation to fix. And ultimately, they've brought in Sterling because they have to improve the goal output in that attack. The forwards last season did not bring enough goals to the table. Um, you look You look at what they... They managed last season and it wasn't good enough. You know, Lukaku got 15 and Havertz got 14. And then supporting them, you had Mason Mount coming in at 13. Werner got 11. Pulisic got eight. Ziyech got seven. Uh, hudson Adoy got, got three. And, and, and none of the players were really putting forward a good enough case that, that they deserve to be in a Chelsea team that should be challenging in Europe and in the Premier League. I thought the Mount totals were okay. The um, Mount totals were fine, of, but he's he not really also, in this conversation. He's he's pitching him probably with even more than you'd expect. Yeah, because he went he went double figures, goals and assists. Yeah, he did. Yeah. So combined, he was he was well worth his spot. It was everybody else that we were looking yeah, at. Yeah, it's the actual asking. forwards. Mount isn't really a forward. He's a breakout no. midfielder. So that's the issue. Um, so look, Ziyech and Werner, they might well be moved on and, and that's fine if that happens as long as they've got figures that can come in have two players in each position that can actually compete. Um, obviously, we're, we're waiting to find out if they do actually go for a, a central forward. They've been linked with Ronaldo. I'm, I'm not convinced that will happen. Um, Aspilicueta is on his way out. Um, if they can agree a fee of Barcelona, a new right back will come in. The big story is too is they need another centre back. Even if Ake comes in, Delict, Koulibaly, Kimpembe, Skriniar. All in the mix. Let's see what they can do there. But they are aiming to get a player in of a bigger profile than Ake to also come alongside him. For me, and I think something that gets overlooked quite a lot is the need for a, a central midfielder, somebody who's defensively minded, right? Um, now, Jorginho Kante, you know, fine. I'm not saying that they can't get you through this season, but ultimately, for for where Chelsea needs to be heading to compete with Liverpool and City over the next couple of years, they need to find that next person that comes in. And this is why I still expect them to go back in for Declan Rice. Basically, I'm. <laughs> um, I, I just think that this is a game changing position. I think that if you're going to make that 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 switch to to move on from where you're at. Kante's, Kante's not going to be the player that he has been in the past. Jorginho is probably going to move moved on. Um, obviously, there are problems with Declan Rice's price tag. Uh, West Hampstead and Sisti won't be going. Like, I'm still told, expect, expect headlines between now and the end of the transfer window around Declan Rice. They already cropped up a couple of weeks ago. I think they might come back on the agenda. They're also being linked with Frankie de Jong at the moment. I don't think they're going to get Frankie de Jong, but... Again, it brings the spotlight onto that position of the field. Like Chelsea are considering bringing in a central midfielder. And do you know what? I think I think something does need to change there. If you're going to get the best out of Mount and Conor Gallagher over the next couple of years, I think it's important that they have somebody else in there that they know is going to be with them over the next two, three years that, that helps push this team forward. Finishing third in the Premier League is no sad state of affairs at the moment, given the competition to be in the top two. But Chelsea obviously want to have a bigger say in the title race. And we're going to find out in the next six weeks if that 
if that's likely. Todd Bow, as we call him, Wee, is Todd taking Bo. it to the people. He's, he's out there on his European tour. He's going all out attacking the transfer market by turning up on people's doorsteps and demanding transfers and player swaps. Not much has happened so far, <laughs> but unlike Wolves and Everton, I believe it will. I, th- I think that Chelsea are the team that do make transfers that are significant and that this team does emerge stronger by the end of the transfer window and a team that I'm going to say might challenge for the title. I'm not saying will challenge for the title, but if they got all the pieces they needed, if they got if they got the four or five players that they need between now and the end of the window and they're trying to get, then they could be in that race. They were linked a couple of weeks back, team, with Matthias Nunch from Sporting, um, which was one I don't mind. Um, it, it was a kind of... It's not the overarching big player that I think Chelsea probably do need in the middle, but I think he would be a good Kovacic rotation option. Um, and and I, I thought that was an interesting move. It seems to have gone quiet, so I'm not quite 100% sure what's going on with it, but there was kind of vague talk that Sporting were willing to sell. Um, and and Mateus, you know, someone that Pep we've already seen admire you know, publicly uh, after after City played them. Um, there were links to lots of clubs, including Wolves, who were on this list, obviously, and Everton earlier this season. Um, but I wouldn't mind it for Chelsea as a rotation option. I, I think maybe could probably do with another year of being a consistent starter in Portugal. Um, but definitely someone who's on the kind of radar, I think, of, mm. of quite a lot of clubs and because he offers such a such a wide-ranging skill set. Yeah, there you go. I don't, I don't know too much about that one. It hasn't been mentioned to me, but obviously I've, I've been away too. So um, there are obviously going to be other players beyond the, the high profile ones that I'm, that I'm talking about here. And, and, you know, Chelsea have to be smart. I, th- I think it's, it is a tough time when you're completely overhauling the entire back, you know, all the recruitment staff, all the guys that were negotiating in the past, like most of them are gone now. A few are still having a say, but ultimately... This is a fresh start for Chelsea and, and there are going to be hiccups along the way. So, you know, they, they got some big fixes to make, but I think, I think they'll get there at least halfway there. Well, just, just, just to sit, sat here shuddering at the thought of Todd Bowe's carbon footprint. He's taking a private jet here and there and everywhere, rocking up on people's doorsteps, offering swaps and different, no, I'm in Barcelona. Now I'm in Porto. Now I'm over here. Come yeah, on, maybe Todd, he's offsetting you, it somehow. Come on, man, so. do your bit. <laughs> it's definitely an old school approach that he's taking right now, that's for sure. Um, at number two, it's Man United. Now, as we record this, and as I said on Monday, Man United have a worse squad right now than they did at the end of last season. And alarm bells should be ringing around Old Trafford. We're recording this before their friendly match with Liverpool. So we can't go into the details of that game or what the first lineup actually looked like under Ten Hag. But just from, from seeing reports from the guys who were, at, who were out there at the moment covering United, it, reports suggest that like it's a Lindelof-Bay centre-back pairing. We're looking at a midfield of Fred in between Bruno Fernandes and van der Beek. Um, I think the one thing that is clear is United have to get upgrades here that for depth reasons and also first 11 reasons, right? And I've got them at number two in this list because what we're looking at right now with Man United is a squad and a team that would probably finish sixth um, unless they overachieved. But what we're looking at by the end of this window is a team that will be challenging for the top four. Frankie de Jong, Lissandro Martinez, Anthony, 
and Christian Eriksen are serious sign-ins. They are serious upgrades on, look at players that left, for example, since the end of last season, Lingard, Mata, Matic, Cavani, like players that you, you move on and then you, you bring in a new gen, a new era of player. Uh, Malassi are already coming in, obviously. Like that, there needs to be a, a new way of thinking at United, and you need players also that are understanding of Ten Hag's philosophy and can can kind of be a voice in the dressing room and on the pitch for the coach himself. And I think that that's important in these signings that United are targeting. It's going to cost them a lot of money to make those four signings that I was just talking about. It's it's really really important that they they do make them though. Um, Ten Hag's coaching style itself is going to be an upgrade on Solskjaer, an upgrade on Rangnick. Um, his personal relationships, I think, will be better. We see he's pretty no-nonsense. I mean, you, you watch the first couple of days of pre-season and um, the videos you see and how demanding he is in, in terms of intensity. Um, he keeps out, shouting saying, at people for making mistakes. He keeps shouting, yeah. too many mistakes! Too and many mistakes! Fine. United do make too many mistakes. That's fine. And, and you know... Th- you know, you see him singling out Jaden Sancho and people are like, oh, he's not going to like that. That's part of being a footballer, right? Jaden Sancho is not a perfect footballer, so he deserves to be called out if he needs to be. And I have no problem with that. Um, obviously, we see more of this these days than we've ever seen in the past. Um, but ultimately, I think that the other thing to consider is that with Ten Hag, he'll get more out of Harry Maguire and he'll get more out of Marcus Rashford. Those are two players that are going to be much improved because he is putting big emphasis on that. In preseason, I think Elanga will improve. There's a possibility Anthony Martial sticks around and he's improved. I'm not sure that he's the answer to the nine, like people are suggesting he might have to be. Um, and they've obviously got the Ronaldo situation to deal with, which is an annoyance. It must be an annoyance for Man United to have that lingering over them right now. You don't need that. They probably wish they could have dealt with that in May and June rather than have it land on them at the start of July. But it is what it is. Um, ultimately, yeah, going back to it, United have fixes to make. Ideally, they don't want this being, this can't go on till the end of the window. The United's fixes actually have to be made in the next two weeks because they need, they need to implement these changes during pre-season. But if they make them, when they make them, if it's De Jong, Lissandro, Anthony and Eriksson, they would be four unbelievable players to, to turn around the mindset of the fan base and also that team. Dino, about sometime at the end of last week, we were led to believe that Eriksson was, was all but done. Is it still all but done? Yeah, he's going to be. He'll be joining up the tour. Like Ericsson will, Ericsson will be a Man United player. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay, so that just leaves the Ajax boys, um, or former Ajax boys. In some yeah, cases. the Ajax players who you know the United wouldn't be pursuing these players if they they didn't have reason to believe these deals weren't going to be tied up. Like Ten Hag, there's no way he's not involved in in this heavily yeah. and getting inclinations from both Ajax and the players themselves that they want this to happen. So, but obviously, Ajax have seen the video of Richard Arnold saying money's no problem, so they're like, okay, well, give us all of it then. Like, yeah, you want th- these players so desperately. You took our coach, now pay us for these players if that's what you want. It strikes me as that they're they're, they're caught in a bit of a tug of war with both trying to call each other's bluff. Um, So yeah, it's difficult. So on the one side, you've got Ajax kind of stringing Man United along for a high asking price because they know they have loads of money. And on the other side, on the Frankie side of things, you've got a two-way street where Barca are kind of stringing Man United along for a high asking price. Man United might feel like they're stringing Barca along in order to make them cave because of their short-term debt problems that they're trying to convert into long-term debt problems, their inability to register players, the fact that they need to clear the wage cash, they might think that they're both strong-arming each other in this market. And it's just created a 
a, f- a two month delay. Um, but at this point, United actually, they have to sign Frankie. There is no option because you can't spend two months chasing a player and then not get him. Yeah. It's just embarrassing. Not only for you as a club, but also just a terrible, terrible way to a- approach uh, preparing for a season and yeah. a death knell for Eric Ten Hag before he's even begun. Exactly. And, you know, it's their, their pursuits of these players, you know, Maguire, Sancho, it happens all the time. The pursuits are so high profile and so publicly played out that you're right. They end up, they end up caving into the financial terms to avoid the embarrassment of missing out on the player. And, it, and it's a terrible situation to be in. And it's, it's a, you know, you look at the way that Liverpool go about business at the moment and how a lot of the deals get done quietly and out of the blue. Um, even if journalists on that Liverpool patch get an inkling of a deal, it's not reported until it's done. And even when suddenly there is rumour, like the Darwin Nunez one, when they're like, oh, Liverpool are coming in for him, they seal it within like a week or two and it's mm. done, tied up, forgotten. Yep. And that's what Man United have been lacking. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's that efficiency, isn't it? And and I suppose that, you know, with, without kind of making it all, you know, black and white, that that's the difference between the kind of circus and the you know, and the business model. Um, and I think that there's so much around Manchester United. Also, you know, it's not necessarily everybody's fault. I think part of this is the fact that it, it's much easier to do this when you are in a, a team and a happy place where you've got a settled squad, a settled manager. You know, yes, the backroom staff can shift a little bit, but, but ultimately Liverpool's model runs along like clockwork. United have had to change their model about four times in the last four years because <laughs> yes. they weren't sure what it was. So it's much easier to do this from Liverpool's perspective because there's not, you know, the gaps in the system that you that you need to fill as yep. much and you can go about your business quietly. Whereas every time United are interested in a player, it's going to be headline news because everyone goes, is this the player that can help fix Manchester United and, and, and try and take them back <laughs> to where their fan base believes that they should be? So mm. it's easier to, to do it from a place of strength, I think. But there, there is also an element of, you know, there are pen, plenty of clubs lower down the pyramid who are very well organised, very well put together and, and, and do go about their business quietly. Um, and, and I think the amount of change and kind of chaos at Manchester United over the last couple of years has kind of resolved itself into this situation. I'd agree. I think that's a very fair and important sort of compare and contrast there because we can also draw the comparison to Chelsea who have just changed ownerships, changed structures and their business is being played out in public too. You know, whether or not this is Todd Bowe's carbon footprint or if it's Barcelona, Rafinha, Chelsea, whatever it is, it's the same as Man United. It's being played out publicly. It's being drawn out. As Piliqueta, are they going to get money for him? How long has this been going on for? Three mm. months? So it's the same thing. It's the, it's the benefits of having that settled structure, as you say, Jack. It, it may not be entirely fair to sort of hold United and Liverpool against one another because of the infancy of what Man United are trying to do. But for those feeling beleaguered in that fan base, like, you know, it's only natural that this is what happens. And, and Chelsea are suffering from the same thing, who for a long, long time have been super stable, but now suddenly are not. And look. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Well, that leaves us with one, Dean. Yeah, number one is going to be the most exciting story of this season, and it's Newcastle. Um, I swear, I honestly thought you were going to go Fulham. <laughs> I, I kind of did as well, and I'm glad you haven't. No way. No way. I'm not talking about Fulham ever again on this podcast. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, Newcastle are, are, are such an exciting story, and the big question is how far can this team go? And the, and the reason that I've got them down as number one in this ranking is because I have them down right now as a team that will probably finish eighth or ninth, to be honest. They, they want to sign, though, a wide forward and a centre forward. 
And the profile of those additions could turn them into European candidates. So that's why they've come in at number one. And look, what they've already built since the takeover gives you reason to believe that they could do this. They could get this right. It's been really impressive, the turnaround to steer clear of relegation. I mean, way clear of it by the end. Their business so far in this window, really, really good. To get Nick Pope, to, to win that battle for Sven Botman, that's unbelievable. Um, both really, really strong additions and, and they'll do really well. So now we wait on those two game changers, the forwards. Who is who is going to fire Newcastle up that table and, t- and take them to that next level that we've been waiting for? Look, when the takeover happened, they were being linked with Harry Kane and Kylian Mbappe. And obviously it was all pretty unrealistic stuff, but they were genuinely ready to raise the bar as high as they could. So far, they've been really smart. They've been refusing to overpay for people. They've been refusing to be used as you know, pawns for other people to to link their, their player to your club and actually embroil you in a tug of war. They'd be like, no, we're not interested in that player. We're looking elsewhere. Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Moussa Diaby are the two players that Newcastle want in this side for next season. And they're set on that. Like they're, those, If they could get two men in right now, those are the two they'll go for. I'm not saying that these are the two that will land because they're really hard to land, but they're going to go for it. And actually, if they were to ever overpay since the takeover went through, they'll do it now because they've already got through the core of their business without doing so. They've managed to ride that wave out and they're really happy with the team that they've built. But because these are the finishing touches, because these final positions are the ones that actually do make the significant difference into where you end up next season, you might find that they push the boat out a bit more. And look, they like people like Jack Harrison at Leeds, but Rafinha, you know, that situation's meant that that's probably not going to open up. And the Arby's really is the priority. That's not that's not an easy deal to be done at all, by the way. And it's probably going to end up cost them fifty million pound if they're to get him out of, of Leverkusen. Um, the other position to look out for is that they probably will sign another central midfielder. They're trying to find the right profile of player that fits. Um, again, they they will pay what it takes to get the player. Um, Bubikar Traore is a, is a young central midfielder that's been linked. And there's a guy at Lons, Sekou Fafana. I don't know much about him. You two might do. Um, again, he's somebody that's on their radar. But basically, we, we've seen the improvement on Newcastle between January and the end of the season. We've seen since then that they've made signings that are undoubtedly going to make them stronger. Eddie Howe is going to have a better idea of how to further improve this squad. Bruno Guimaraes is going to have a significant say in how they improve next season. And two big signings, at least, are on the way between now and the end of the transfer window. And, you know, I've seen people like doing first drafts of the FPL team and stuff like that recently. And I've seen a few people talking about like Callum Wilson and things like that. Like, oh, he'll definitely get games and this, like Chris Wood's not going to play. You have to bear in mind that Newcastle are in the market for a top, top level centre forward and maybe hold out on somebody like that on Callum Wilson right now because I, look, if they don't manage to get this done, then fine. But they probably will. They probably will sign someone that's really, really good. So two things here. Dean, first of all, how gutted are you that you spent six months learning how to say Hugo Ekatike and it turns out it was for no reason whatsoever? Mm. <laughs> it wasn't six months. It was a year, I think. I <laughs> don't, don't think I've even got it right yet. I'm just going to call oh. him Ekiteke. Oh, Hugh. Ekiteke. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolute well, that, that all got a bit messy because in the end, it was very strange and like the agent demands were, were just so complicated and he wanted money. He Basically, from what I heard, he wanted money 
from sections of the deal that you wouldn't normally get it from from the other end of it at the clubs. So yeah, it, it became very complicated. And Newcastle, look, Newcastle actually still would sign him if the cha- if the terms of that deal changed, they would still sign him because they really like him. But yeah, at the moment, it's not the priority. Yeah, well, he's been linked to PSG in the last couple of days uh, as an alternative yeah. to Scamacha. So we'll have to see what happens on that one. He also got a hamstring injury at the um, youth tournament over the summer, which then yeah. put everything on hold for a couple of weeks. But um, yeah, Moussa Diaby, interesting. Very interesting. Got You're gonna have to, going to have to convince him to leave Champions League football. And to do that, you have to pay the guy a lot of money. But the Dominic Calvert-Lewin one is the one that kind of furrows my brow a little bit because... I've been I've long been an advocate of him and for the last couple of years I've probably been all in favor of a, of a, of a of a cash rich side signing him but right now might genuinely be the worst time to sign Dominic Calvert-Lewin there has ever been like horrible season last season mostly due to injuries and then came into the side was probably not sharp a bit unfit barely scored just kind of hung on for dear life he's got so much to prove there so much rhythm to regain Everton have, have sold Richarlison, so they can't really afford to lose either of the other two in Gordon and Dominic Calvert-Lewin. It would be a, a PR disaster and would leave them with a hole they probably can't fill back up. And therefore, he would cost tons of money. And Dominic Calvert-Lewin hasn't really looked worse for several years since probably he was f- coming through on the scene. Like, it's not, it's not the right time. It doesn't feel right. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, look... I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take to get him out of Everton, to be honest with you. But the the reason I think that they will sniff around this deal is because you say there's no worse time to sign him. Well, in terms of Calvert-Lewin considering his future, there might be no better time. Mm. Because watching Richarlison go, seeing Everton not strengthen, seeing the struggle last season, is an England international he probably can get back to whatever you want him to be. There's still time to uh, mould him into whatever type of centre forward you specifically want at Newcastle. He's capable of being various different roles, you know, very yeah. different types of striker. So I think that they're probably, there are definitely cons, but I think they're pros too. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It, it, it's one of those where, you know, for player and for club are very different kind of elements of, of what's going on. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's a dream. It's a dream shift for, Calvert-Lewin and I don't mean that in terms of like uh, he's grown up and wanted to play for Newcastle since the day he was born but I think it's a shift to a club moving in the right direction um, Mm. from one that's probably kind of floundering in the other direction Um, but at the same time he's never been more necessary so um, it it does feel like a a kind of strange dichotomy to to manage but but I I think you're absolutely right about what what you said about Newcastle being willing to overpay a little bit right now because they haven't overpaid pretty much for anything in January or so far in this window means that they have got a little bit of breathing space in those capacities um, and it does give them a little bit of an edge on other clubs and I, I like that they've gone first here Dean because yeah, I, think- I think this is the most potential to change a season so drastically in the Premier League. And that's exactly it, you know, Newcastle could be capable of it. Like, their transfer activity between now and the end of August could lead them pretty much anywhere up that league, you know, not top four, but anywhere up to that fifth. Like who knows how far they'll push the boat out and how far they could actually go. It's a really exciting project that's already underway. And it's a really exciting story because of the fact that we're looking at a a mid-table team here that could break out, especially if teams like Wolves aren't willing to push on. So just to like reflect, like that's exactly why we had Wolves at five, because we're talking about a team that finished 10th and are hoping they can get back to being like seventh. You've got Everton in fourth, who were a team that, escaped relegation and at the moment 
if they make the changes that they need, well, they'll just be a team that definitely steer clear of relegation. Chelsea are a team that finished third and are basically looking to try and finish second. Man United are a team that, well, they were in free fall by the end of the season and, and didn't qualify for the Champions League. And at the moment, I'd say you look at a team will finish sixth again, but ultimately they could they could finish in the Champions League places. But Newcastle have the potential to make the biggest jump. They could go from nowhere to finish in European football. Kind of be like the West Ham, if you like, of, of this season. Be the, be the team that, you know, West Ham's rise over the past couple of seasons, what they've built under David Moyes has been so impressive with the like, a core squad really of like 14, 14 players. And, and Newcastle could be that. And not only that, They'll, if they can push on, they'll get bigger and bigger. And in two, three years, we might be talking about a team that is in the Champions League. Yeah, definitely. I think you're absolutely spot on. Very, very nicely argued. Very nice, good, very nice logic, Dean. That's how I would, that's how I would yes. describe said ranking. Um, and that was lots of fun. It's always good to talk transfers with a man who knows transfers better than any of us. So it's lovely to have you back and into those rankings. And um, right after the break, we are going to be bringing back the main man with Melon of the Week, and of course, a gibberish rankings. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to part three of Ranks FC, where it's time for everybody's favourite part of the week. It's been a real honour to be able to do this for the last couple. <laughs> but Dean, the floor is yours. Thanks, mate. It's time for Melon of the Week. Now, this week's Melon of the Week is Crystal Palace. And specifically, their shambles of a pre-season tour and whoever organised this. Palace have been forced to leave their main players at home for their pre-season tour to Singapore and Australia because they don't meet the entry requirements from when it was booked. Now, the club have not specifying, you know, whether these players are staying behind due to specifically the coronavirus vaccination status. Um, but they are confirming that, that part of this group currently don't fit. Um, some don't meet the requirements. Some just literally aren't fit. It really has made me wonder what on earth the point is of Crystal Palace going half across the world this summer. Palace, they haven't identified these players, but you just got to look through the tour party that's gone out to Singapore. Missing is Wilfred Zaha, Eze, Gehi, Elise, MacArthur, Benteke, Schlupp, Will Hughes. Um, None of them are going on this tour. Decore's not going either. Now, the club say that those left behind will be based in South London for domestic training and games. I think I've got a game coming up against, Crystal, uh, against QPR. There are so few players <laughs> named on this trip that you could actually even recognise. Now, they say like there are first 10 first-teamers, but like the ones you've actually heard of are Gaeta, Tyrek Mitchell, Odson Edouard, Mateta's going. The only midfielder you've heard of uh, is Milivojevic. Milivojevic, however you want to pronounce his name. You were right he's the, last time. He's the only one I've heard of, right? Yeah. And for me, pre-season, surely for most people, pre-season is all about preparing both as individuals and collectively as a team for the upcoming campaign. But Crystal Palace's squad is literally split in half. <laughs> 
for the next couple of weeks. Oh, and that includes the coaching staff who are having to stay behind. Oh, it's not even like God. they're in different country. They're in different hemispheres. This is absolutely ludicrous. I did actually look at this graphic when I and I didn't get very far down when they released it because I noticed that their new goalkeeper, Sam Johnson, was not on the list. Not going. And I, and I thought, oh, that's weird. They haven't taken... He must be you know, clearance issues or something. I didn't get any further than the goalkeeper section. I didn't even look. But so no, add, to, no. add to your list of the players aren't going, the brand new goalkeeper. Brand who new needs, goalkeeper's not Who going. needs to forge, I suppose, at least to be able to forge a connection with Mark Gehe in South London. <laughs> I mean, what on earth? Yeah, I mean, that might be the one positive that at least a bulk of them are staying behind. I mean, look, you're just going through, like, there are players on this list, like the midfielders that are named in this squad apart from the one I've already mentioned, are Rak Saki, Ebuwe, Raymond, Boateng, Ozo, Killian Phillips and Scott Banks. I don't know who they are. I think I've heard of Scott Banks. I don't know who the others are. And they're going on a tour that is supposed to grow their brand. Like these guys should probably be playing in South London so that like the local fans can get to know who they are first before worrying about the people in Australia knowing that. This isn't really the idea of going on one of these trips and like, Obviously, like obviously, yeah. everyone does go and try and grow in these in these different countries, whether it's America or or Australia or Singapore or Asia, where, wherever they're heading. This doesn't seem like a good approach, lads. Like you mm. had a good season last year, you want to start this season with a bang, and having a squad where literally half of them are reserve team players, basically. Yeah. I, it's not I'm good. Sure it's not good. There, I mean, were a lot, there were a lot of contenders for Men of the Week this week, weren't there? <laughs> like, it feels like there's lots of lots of different people. There's a few, but I don't think anything's up things. to this. Go on. Well, there well, was there was yeah, this this. Um, I don't know what to call it because I don't want to get sued. Um, it's either the worst miss of all time or something much more suspicious that happened <laughs> in the Valor FC game in the Canadian Premier League, um, okay. where the ball is trickling just about over the line. And one of the guy's teammates runs onto the ball and clears it backwards off the line. It's basically like, I think it's, his name's William Accio. Um, and he's a South Sudanese international. And uh, basically, the ball falls to his teammate, Alessandro Rigi. Um, and he's hit a shot. And it's not a very good shot, but it's going over the line. It's going in. It's and actually it's 95% over the line. It's almost as if Accio has seen the ball go over. The, you know when like people like boot the ball out of the goal? Once it's gone in, like as a celebration, it's like he does that. Yeah, <laughs> like, he just like boots the ball backwards when it's on the line. But it doesn't cross the line. Now, ultimately, his blushes are spared. Valor FC did win the game in the end um, with a late goal, um, but it was very, very funny. Um, <laughs> it's just like absolutely hammered it clear um, as if as if it's gone in, and he's just you know celebrating, and he starts to celebrate. No, he's and hammered it clear like, like, like he not thinks in. he's a centre-back. <laughs> it's it's like, really not very I think, I think actually the answer here is this is um, clear and obvious um, proof of mind control. And mm. the, other t- the other team have developed technology by which they can hijack a striker's mind and make him think he's a defender for the other team. You'd be hoping, you'd be hoping that if they did that, they'd have won the game, but they didn't. So I'm, I'm, I'm willing to discount your. We're only allowed to theory. use the technology once. They've once only got enough, They haven't got enough batteries to use it twice. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. There was another. There was another contender as well, although probably not quite as high high up the list. Um, uh, Servette in Switzerland hosted West Ham in a friendly last Friday. Um, they only opened up one of the stands, and basically they thought there was only going to be about twenty five hundred people. 
at the game. They'd only sold about 900 tickets the day before. And then on the day of the game, there was just like a mad like rush and like another sort of 3,000 tickets were sold. And they had to write a written apology for their fans for running out of beer. Um, <laughs> which, which I really, really enjoy. Were they um, able to open up the stand and let them in though? No, they let them in. It was fine, but no one could get a drink. Well, because so, some, um, sometimes you don't even, you can't even open the stand because you don't have like enough stewards. Like, yeah, it, it, it could, it could be even worse than that. It can sometimes be like, sorry, we literally can't let you in. We haven't got enough stewards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. By the way, I'm just reading here the the uh, the replies to Crystal Palace's announcement to when they they put out their tour the, the tour squad. People are like, no midfield, just vibes. Um, <laughs> yeah, nice one, lads. Ninety percent of this squad will not play in the first team next season. Great idea. Let's let's split our squad in two and send half of them across the world so they can't <laughs> speak to each other for two weeks in different time zones. Like, it's just yeah, this is weird, man. This oh, is weird. Dear. Let's they're see. Not, I think they're playing Liverpool, aren't they? Like at the end of the week. That's going to be exciting. They're not the only <laughs> club who have had trouble getting all of their squad on a tour. Uh, we've seen no, we've seen a lot, lot. But this but usually it's like one or two. You it's know, Chelsea like, had yeah, what, Chelsea. Kante and Loftus Cheek. Loftus Cheek, I think. Yeah. That was it. But this is this right. is you can uh, deal with that. Oof. Yeah. I mean they play yeah, this friendly at QPR is basically most of the team. Like the, actual, the most of the actual team is going to be in London. So at least Palace can actually go and watch a pre-season game where they'll see the players they like. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Right. That is of course, the gibberish alarm. Um, still not as good as when Sam did it that one week. Um, <laughs> back over to you, DJ, one last time. Hi, I'll do another section. Don't worry about it, lads. Um, <laughs> welcome back, buddy. The gibberish is weird things about America. Um, I say I had a lovely trip, but there are some things that just stick out, being like, what is going on here? Um, at number three, I mean, this isn't necessarily particular to America, probably, but it was it was something that I couldn't really get my head around at the, towards the end of my trip. So uh, for the third week, we we moved on to Marina del Rey and we got to the hotel and obviously the the kids love Netflix and all the shows on there and stuff. But like this, the TV in the room for some reason, like it didn't have the option of watching Netflix or mirroring it from your phone or whatever. So it was it was annoying, but there was the option to to buy movies and. One of the movies was Sonic 2, which is Dylan's favorite film. So Dylan was like, Dad, Sonic 2, Sonic 2. And I was like, oh. I looked at it. It said, it said $20, right? I was like, well, we're here for like five days. Like if he watches Sonic 2 every day for five days, it's fine. Like whatever. Um, so, I thought, so I did it. Press the button. Uh, it goes through and like halfway through it, we're going out. So I press pause and it's like, it says, your rental will expire in whatever it was, 15 hours. I was like, what? $20 and I've only got it for this many hours. Like it's a one day rental. I thought it was for the whole time. And I remembered that when I selected it, there was an option above it for $26. And I was like, oh, I bet the $26 is like, you get it for the duration of your stay. So I went down to a reception and was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I've picked the wrong selection on the thing. I meant to pick the 26 and I've picked the 20. Um, but I can only watch it for basically you can, you can watch it one time as well not only do you only get it for 24 hours you can only watch it once so as soon as the movie ends he's done I was like this ain't going to go down well he's going to have a tantrum this, that's not worth it anyway so she, she was like i tell you what we'll do we'll, we'll take it off of your, of your billing and you can go again go and pick the option you want so I went back up picked the $26 option he starts watching it the next day press pause your, your rental will expire. Basically, 
for that extra $6, there's this button down in the bottom corner and you get a free month of a karaoke app. What? What do I want that for? I want to watch Sonic 2 I've signed up for here. (laughs) I don't want some random karaoke app. Um, So, yeah, I got stung on that. That annoyed me and I basically had to drag out Sonic 2 for the next three days. He was able to watch it in installments. Um, <laughs> 20 minutes be- at a time. Yeah, and in between, he watched some random... Well, Nickelodeon was the only kids' channel on, on cable, so I managed to get him watching like SpongeBob and stuff like that. But um, that was just random, and I thought it was absolutely ridiculous. Only in yeah. America could you pay extra $6 for a free karaoke app. Anyway, the next thing, I'm also, I'm also moaning about money on number two. Raspberries were eight dollars packet of raspberries. How could yeah. a packet of raspberries be eight dollars? That's six pounds seventy. Not even a big pack. It's double what we pay here. Anything basically healthy in America costs you an absolute fortune. Fruit and veg, forget it. You'll you'll be broke within a year. You you got you got to live off fake food, or you're in big trouble. Do you know what? While I'm moaning about money, this stupid tax thing always annoys me. I've been in America, I don't even know how many times, 30, 40 times, whatever it is. Why is nothing the actual price it says it is? <laughs> I, like You all need to get on the same tax system here and just agree the price you put on is the price you pay. It's like, oh, this here you go. Get these raspberries, $8. Actually, not even $8. It's probably like $8.50, $8.48 or something Like because you've got to pay all these taxes. Oh, annoys me, that. <laughs> well, I, I, I can imagine this raspberry thing annoying you. The, the thing that baffles me most about the entire United States is the fact that black currants were bla- banned for like 100 years. You weren't allowed to make have black currants because they were worried yeah. about it you know, killing off a, some sort of pine tree, I think. That is true, yeah. Um, I still don't think, I don't know if you can still get them now, can you? Yeah, I think the, the, the ban has been lifted, but because, oh, it was it? So, because it was so difficult to get hold of them for so long um, that they basically don't include it in any sort of production. So basically no one really makes it anyway. Um, oh, so it's still, it's still it. yeah, it basically doesn't exist. Um, mm. But yeah, it's it's re- really interesting. Uh, it, always, it always gets me, but I do feel sorry. Blackcurrant is like my favorite flavor of anything ever. Um, and, and to not be able to have it, I, I just, I just, I feel for these people. Do you know what I mean? I feel for them. The weirdest thing about my trip was the discovery of a lad called Joey Chestnut. Oh, oh yeah <laughs> man this is ridiculous so it was one night we're in the hotel room uh obviously can't afford to watch a movie so i'm, watch- I'm watching uh, <laughs> i'm watching the, the, the channels we've been given and i'll flick onto espn where a live hot dog eating contest is about to begin yeah, yeah. espn course sports channel but don't worry i'm gonna scoff hot dogs on here and joey chestnut is basically the Ronaldo of eating hot dogs. Um, I think he's like the Ronaldo and the Messi combined, mate. Yeah, he's, 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 be, some yeah. sort of, he's some sort of done. This geezer was, I mean, I, I did get glued to this. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. He gobbled his way to a 15th win of the Nathan's 4th of July hot dog eating contest. Um, he ate 63 hot dogs in 10 minutes, this geezer. is absolutely <laughs> ludicrous that actually is well short of his record too by the way like that that's poor by his standards but at one point he was eating eight do- eight hot dogs a minute they had, they had they had a counter in the bottom like hot dogs per minute right he's doing eight he was doing <laughs> eight a minute yeah yeah, yeah. hot dogs point. per 90 yeah he had this technique of getting two hot dogs at a time 
and he like slides them down his throat. You know how like people can down a pint and they must yep. open up their throat and, and down a beer in like four seconds or whatever. He could do it with two hot dogs at the same time. And they did this method of, of sticking the, the roll in, which didn't seem to get caught up in his mouth and just go. Everyone else looks a complete mess. They've got buns hanging out of their mouth. They're trying to stuff sausage in. They're down in water. It's all just turning into this just mess in their mouth. The closest person to him ate 20 fewer hot dogs. Yep. It's not even close. No. There was a bloke from Leeds in it, actually. I think he only ate 13. That's not bad, though, still. It's, that's it. I think <laughs> only 13 hot dogs in 10 minutes. More than one um, per minute. Can you imagine that? Yeah, so it's still more than a hot dog a minute. But I'm not sure you should be in a, a hot dog eating contest in New York if that's all you can do, to be honest, because it's it's well short of the standards to compete with the likes of Joey Chestnut. <laughs> Joey Chestnut took this in his stride, mate. He 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 actually was introduced like like he was the greatest of all time. He, he was I think, I think everyone he else might just be in the hot dog world. To, yes, he he, is. well he is. Everyone else had to walk on to stay, walk on. They had walk on music, and you come on and you wave to the crowd. By the way. It's Thousands of people there watching in New York on a boiling hot day. Not Joey Chestnut. He rises out of the ground. He's pulled up on a podium and he stands there in front of his adoring fans. <laughs> and they're cheering him and chanting his name. And then he comes and smashes 63 hot dogs in 10 minutes. And off he goes. Probably for another hot dog in a restaurant somewhere with a beer. Probably to be sick. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I presume. I, I presume he's sick after, but who knows? Well, there we have it. Gene's discovery of Joey Chestnut. Dean, the you said you, of said the you were three weeks. surprised to, that you were glued to it, but this is what happens when we see peak physical performance. I was most surprised it was on ESPN. That's no, because the haven't they got a bit of? Haven't they got like a? A bit of a rep for doing the, the weird stuff. Or that's ESPN what the ate, ESPN ate the, the Ocho. Ocho yeah. yeah. The film Dodgeball has taught us that actually that and Obscure Sports Quarterly, uh, the greatest magazine of all time, uh, will focus in on a few things like this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously our old boss at, at Bleacher Lee Walker was a big um, eating contest fan. And he was. has been in his own, his own contest, hasn't he? So I was half expecting... He does now live near in New York, so I was half expecting him to, yeah. him to rock up. Joey he, Chestnut he ripped off a mask and it turns out it's Lee, it Walker. Lee Walker. It's Lee Walker, yeah, yeah. 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 I, would have, I would have loved to see that. But <laughs> that yeah, I was, I was tempted to text him. Actually, I was out there, mate. Mate, I am getting an insight now to why you like what... But yeah, actually, <laughs> take part in it. It's even different from watching it. Like Different, <sighs> different, different level that is of eating. Not okay. It's actually not okay. No, almost certainly not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, okay, right. And on that bombshell, I think it's probably time that we call this a day. And all that's really left to do is say thank you very much to Dean Jones. A wonderful ranking. A lot a lot of the work here today, Dean. So fair play to you. A, a, a big shift on your on your return to, to the big time. Oh, no worries, mate. Do it in my sleep. Always, always. <laughs> thank you very much, the rank god, Mr. Sam Tai. I really enjoyed having Dino back. Really enjoyed yeah, been, it. I mean, he hadn't been even glorious. been in the country long before I texted him and go, by the way, you're doing the ranking on Wednesday. Yeah, no, no. You only did it. one while I was away. It's not like you didn't done them every week. <laughs> <laughs> need a cool. break. Why? Yeah, yeah. He's like, I just, I just organised them all. Um, right. Too many TikToks. That's it. We have done a lot of TikTok. Come and join us on TikTok if that's your vibe. We're over there at Rank Squad uh, where we've been talking about all sorts of transfers and all sorts of deals. Um, enjoy whatever things you have planned for your next week. We will see you on Wednesday next time for another ranking. Thanks for listening as ever. Take it easy. Peace.